welcome to our sixth and final episode in this series on generative AI. And today we're going to cast our eyes and our minds into the future and try to predict what is going to happen with this technology from a technical standpoint and from a social standpoint. What is the future going to look like? Is it going to be kind of like other technologies that flare up and then fall down with making some change, but maybe not a huge impact on our lives? Or are we going to see major change and disruption because of this technology into the future? And I'm going to throw that question right at my colleague, Amit. What comes to your mind when you think about the future of generative AI? I look at this particular question in three stages, Mike. The immediate future, which I see is the next, between starting tomorrow, if you will, stretching out to the next 10 years or so, the medium term, and then the really, really long term. So let's start with the immediate term, right? In the immediate term, I see an explosion of different flavors of this kind of technology. So the way I see it is that the current version of this technology, as amazing as it is, has two critical flaws. Flaw number one is that it still depends on us, the human, to initiate the conversation. So if I, you know, I'm horrible at drawing, so I could never draw. Today, I can get ChatGPT to draw for me or I can get MidJourney to draw for me. However, I still have to come up with a prompt and I have no idea what prompt to give it, right? So you basically just shifted the bottleneck. So that is constraint number one. Constraint number two is that this is still a one-is-to-one -one kind of interaction. So I interact with ChatGPT and you interact with ChatGPT, but the two of us together cannot interact with, uh, with anything. I suspect that in the near future, we're going to have startups trying to address these. So we are already starting to see some auto-prompt generation come up. We're starting to see Dali has integrated the GPT engine so that even for relatively basic prompts, it kind of understands what you're trying to say. So this whole idea of prompt engineering, I think, will eventually go away. It will get better at self-prompting almost, or at least at figuring out what we really mean with the prompt. Secondly, I think we're going to start to see a many-to-one interaction. So think about a system that can manage a team. Think about a system that could, you know, take care of your kids while you're not at home and tell them to do their homework and do the dishes and, you know, eat the right kind of food. Uh, kind of like a mom GPT or something like that. We're going to start seeing versions of this. How would that, how would that work? So, so is this combining then this generative AI technology with robotics? Do we need a physical version of this to make this work? In this particular instance, we might need a physical one. In the instance where we are talking about a corporate, this could just be done with a webcam combined with a speaker. With obviously a GPT software or a Gen AI software running in the background. You can have a boss AI where a Gen AI is running an entire branch of an organization, taking care of employees, rating them, uh, incentivizing them, leading them in the right way. You can have GPT as a member or Gen AI as a member of your team that's making, it's figuring out where the gaps are in the team and making just the right contributions. You can have this thing that initiates the conversation with you and kind of like plays the role of a coach. Now think of a system that sits on your phone, with your permission, it listens in on your conversation on a day-to-day basis, completely firewalled, obviously, but then based on your interactions and your conversations, it gives you tips, it gives you guidances, saying, hey, Mike, 
I see you're preparing to go in and ask the president for a raise. Have you thought about these three points, which can perhaps enhance the probability that you're going to get a raise or something along those lines, right? So we have humans and then we have AI. And then people are starting talking about, you know, the combination of that. And there's sort of two models. There's the center model and the cyborg model, right? And the center model, I think, is what you were describing, right? A, a centaur is a half human, half horse, I think, but they still maintain their separate parts, right? They're just connected in the middle. I think that's what you're talking about. And then the other one was a cyborg where it's some sort of a combination of the two. So there, there's no separate individual identity. So right now we're really in the world where you have humans and you have AI and they're, and, and they're separate. You're describing a movement toward the centaur kind of model where you have this sort of AI digital assistant that you can turn to and ask questions that can help help you out in various different ways. Do you see that moving to more of the cyborg model? Slowly, not in the immediate future. I suspect that between regulations as well as social pressures, it's going to be hard to actually embed these things, embed either pure intelligence into machines or embed any kind of computer intelligence into humans. I think there's going to be pressures for both. But relatedly, there's another reason that I think that this will not happen. I honestly feel, and, and this might be a little provocative, I honestly feel that what we are seeing technology-wise with large language models with generative AI is the end of the beginning. So this is the end of, we have reached the maximum level that we can with the current level of AI and computer science technology that we can possibly get. I don't think that it's going to have a exponential improvement anymore. And I'm really going out on a limb here, putting this out there, saying this, and I could be proven wrong next month or next year, but I strongly believe it. I think that what we are seeing, we will have incremental improvement. We will, of course, have millions and millions of apps and applications based on this technology, but we will not have yet another hockey stick improvement to this particular technology because we are at the limits of the data that we can give it. We are at the limits of the computing power that is required to run it. And we are at the limits of what this algorithm can do. And this is totally my personal opinion. So of those three things, let's say we can, you know, massively improve and increase the processing power, let's say through quantum computing, for example. And we can get a lot more storage so we can increase the size of the data sets. But the algorithm, you know, the way neural networks are set up kind of remains relatively the same. So what you're saying is that with that, it's not going to have another stepwise improvement unless you change the core algorithm. That, that is way correct. I, I honestly feel that the core machine learning algorithm combined with the transformer technology is, I don't think it's at its limit, but it's somewhere brushing up against the limits of what it can do, given, of course, the computing power and the data. I mean, of course, if we increase both of those by a factor of 100, crazy things can always happen. But I personally feel, again, this is just my opinion, that we are very close to the edge, which is why I call this the end of the beginning. I don't think this is the end. It is just the end of our first real attempt at creating... AI consciousness, at creating AGI, at putting cyborg level skills into this device.
Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about that a little bit uh, because there's all this discussion around AGI. And AGI, of course, is, I think we discussed it maybe in our first episode, right? And AI is good at not just one thing, it's good at many, many things, like we are, and essentially gets the same level or similar level to us. And this is also sometimes referred to as the singularity, right? Do you see this as as on the horizon or is this a far distant future event if it ever happens? I'm a little pessimistic on this. I definitely don't see this in the next 10 to 15 years. I suspect we'll eventually get there. My personal timeline is in the more 30 to 50 year horizon range. I don't think this will take 200 years, which is what some other people do feel. But I don't think we are, I don't think it is imminent, not the coming decade. So you talked about, you know, the short, medium and long term. And you say in the short term, there's going to be all kinds of incremental improvements. There's going to be apps that are sitting on top of this technology because right now it's pretty clunky, right? It's the interface is not very good, just like first computers. And then we got apps and programs and, and it became a whole lot more useful. So that will happen. The first Internet, that'll happen in the short term. What do you see about the medium and long term? In the medium term, I suspect we'll see a couple of things happening. I suspect that we'll see that this technology itself will start getting commoditized. It's just going to be a baseline, kind of like storage is today. You know, you remember the time when having a Western digital one terabyte hard drive was a cool thing. It was a thing, right? Those things were costly. You know, you actually had to plan to get one of those things and having those things meant that you could do things that, for example, other researchers or your neighbors uh, down the street could not do you know, in terms of storing movies or something like this. And today, this thing is completely meaningless. This is not even a conversation we have. So I suspect that this intelligence layer of the internet is going to get based on these technologies, which specific technology it uses, I suspect it's going to just be relatively commoditized. And it is the whole value add is going to move completely to the apps. We'll start seeing this happening, I don't know, a few years to a decade from now. I still suspect till that time uh, the hardware guys and the core technology guys will make a lot of money. But beyond that, it's all going to be based on apps. And I think in the medium term is when we really have to start worrying about things like the social impact and the economic impact in terms of jobs. Because near term is my my definition, like I said, in the next 10, 15 years, I am not seriously concerned about mass job losses. Of course, there are going to be jobs that go away, but there'll be other jobs that come up. Net-net will gain, which does not mean that everybody will gain. There will be sections of the population, there'll be sections of the world that will lose out on this. And there'll be others that will make incredible amounts of money. As always, this is not going to be a level playing field. But net, it will not be a negative in the short term. In the medium term, I am less certain. In the medium term, the impacts of this, as we get better at applying it, as we get better at solving the engineering problems that are there around it, like cost, like emissions that we mentioned last time around in our episode around carbon and uh, the amount of water and cooling it takes. These are engineering problems that will eventually not get completely solved, but get mitigated. And once that starts happening, once the usage of this really, really explodes, once this is on everybody's phones or everybody's headphones or everybody's glasses and, and watches, what kind of jobs go away? What kind of jobs are really required? This becomes a, a, a massive open question. And it's a tricky question to answer because we just don't know. Up until this point, you know, we've been very good at replacing lost jobs. 
technology has taken jobs. Physical technologies and digital technologies have taken many, many jobs, but we've always managed to replace them. So it's reasonable to think that'll happen again. But I think when people see these productivity, these huge productivity benefits, they do naturally think, boy, if, 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 it, if we're going to increase productivity by 20%, last time we talked about, well, you just get 20% more work. Well, what if you just fire one in five people? So there's that worry. Now, I don't have as big a concern as some people. I think there's a, a false assumption here that people have, which is the sort of there's a lump of labor, right? There's just a, a fixed amount of labor. And if AI is doing more of it, then it means humans are doing less of it, right? It's, it's a pure substitution effect. But if you could imagine, you know, that lump gets bigger. So even if the AI is doing more of it, because the lump is getting bigger, there's more jobs for everyone. We just don't know exactly how it's going to look. But I think in the shorter term, there are some factors that will influence which jobs will be safe and which ones will be less safe. And it's not the same as we've had with other technical innovations where it usually works from the bottom up, right? You know, the higher end jobs are safer than the lower end jobs. I'm not convinced at all that that's the case here. And it will be reversed in some areas, it definitely. And we have a colleague at IMD, Michael Yusiji, who's done some thinking about this. And he talks about four factors that will determine the impact that generative AI will have on jobs. The first one is technical capability. So if the technical capability of the, of the AI is better than a human, then you know, those jobs are going to be at risk. No question. The, the second one is the, the cost. So if you are very expensive, if you as a resource, you're very, very expensive, then you're more at risk. I was in uh, Central America a couple of weeks ago, and they're not taking that seriously there, you know, too seriously because it's so cheap to just hire people. You just hire people. <laughs> but if the cost of wages is very, very high, that's going to influence that. I think there's also a more fuzzy kind of you know, question of preferences. You know, people prefer something to be made by human, right? The human touch. People want the human touch, and that's going to impact it too. So I think there's certain jobs that, you know, are really at risk, right? Like an economist, right? It's very technical, relatively expensive. And, and you know, there's not a huge demand for, oh, I want my economist to be a human. You know, I, I really value that. Unlike my doctor, which I still want to be human even 50 years from now, at least me personally. Exactly. So, so doctor, technical skill, probably at AI can do it better. Our cost of wage is extremely high, but you know there's a sense that you want to actually have a human poke you, not a not a robot or whatever. And so there's you know you look at the different jobs and you go through and and you realize there's a lot of these jobs like lawyers. <laughs> you know, I maybe want a doctor, but I don't think I need a a lawyer or a researcher, software engineers, accountant. You know, oh yeah, accountants for sure. But, you know, ballerinas are probably safe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, ballerinas at school teachers, circus performers are probably safe, like welders, hairdressers, you know. But I guess at some point in the longer term, you have to ask, how many ballerinas and hairdressers do we need? I agree. You know? and, and, and on that note, Mike, what's, what's your prediction for the singularity? What's your timeline for this? It's long. It's long. I, I, I don't think we're close there. I think there's a lot with the current technology, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I think I may have used my uh, Meryl Streep analogy before, where for me, it's like Meryl Streep playing a doctor, right? Uh, she's so convincing that you believe it. But if, if you're bleeding out on the floor, the last person you want to see is Meryl Streep, right? So I do think there's some smoke and mirrors today. And that's why I do not believe it's conscious. 
I think we'll need more than just hardware technology advances in order to make the next big step. But until we make that step, I don't think we're anywhere close to consciousness. And anyway, what is consciousness? What is what it means? It's a human construct. It doesn't exist in real life, right? But if the AI can get to the same endpoint through a different means, I mean, you know, does it matter if it's conscious or not? But no, I mean, I, I'm a generally an optimist. You know, the doomsday scenarios is going to kill us all. I get it. I hear it. I don't believe it. Yeah, I don't buy it either. I don't buy it either. Maybe, maybe, you know, decades or centuries from now, this thing becomes smart enough with new technology. And, and I still don't think it kills us, but it becomes smart enough. And then we don't really have to do jobs. But in the near to even medium term, I don't see this happening. One thing that may start to happen, Mike, not in places like Latin America or, or Southeast Asia, but perhaps in countries like Norway and Denmark or Switzerland, where you and I are, is a four-day work week. That is one potential shortcut that organizations and the society might actually take care of, saying, to your point, if 20% of the job is now being done by a tool, by some sort of AI, well, maybe we just send people home on, on Thursday evening and give them Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And this is not the first time this happened in history, right? You know, 100 years ago, the six-day work week was the norm. And then, you know, the Ford Motor Company came out with the five-day work week. Everybody looked at them like they were crazy. It's a terrible idea. You're going to fail miserably. And it turned out that people were as productive, more productive over five days than they were on the six days. And it was a great recruitment tool. And... By the end of the 20s, the 1920s, so really 100 years ago, it had become the norm and became enshrined in law. There's no reason really socially why a four-day work week. But what about this idea, Amit? What about this idea? So, so who's going to generate the benefit from generative AI? If you're just given 20% more work, then the companies, the corporations benefit from it. If you send people home on Thursday, then the employees benefit from it. Yeah, at least in terms of leisure time, yes. At least in terms of leisure time, they get it. What if we split? What if we split that and, and we say, you get half a day extra a week. You get a two and a half day weekend, right? Four and a half day work week. But for that half day, instead of going to work, because now you're getting all your work done in four days, you used to get in five, you give back to the planet. You give back to the planet. You go and you teach somebody, you help an elderly person, you clean a river, you do something that so somehow the benefit of generative AI that, that gives the world is somehow captured by society and the planet, not just by, you know, hungry, greedy capitalists like us. I love this because what you're essentially saying is that you're taking the 20% and instead of turning it into a pure financial good, you're turning it into a social good, right? So the practical way you would do this is you say every alternate Friday, I will go and, to your point, you know, I will go and clean up the local forest or the local beach. I will volunteer at the local old people's home or, or, or you know, drive uh, kids to school or something like that, right? I'll go cook in the local soup kitchen. You don't want me cooking, but uh, maybe I'll do the dishes in the local soup kitchen, right? It's a great idea. It's a great idea. You know what? And uh, we're academics. Amit, you and I, uh, we can be idealistic. So that's our, that's our message. Hey, it's a positive message and the future looks good. It really, really does. And I hope you thought our six episodes on generative AI were good as well, because we really are at the end of the series. Six episodes talking about generative AI. 
I don't know about you folks, but we had a blast doing it, sharing our opinions, views, as well as a little bit of our knowledge uh, with all of you. Thank you very much for tuning in to Mike and Amit Talk Tech. As always, if you would like more information on this podcast or about IMD or our research, please do visit imd.org. And we'll see you again with a brand new topic.